Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This game encapsulates why Brock Purdy is the biggest lightning rod in the NFL. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and we have a final four. A very fun divisional round of the NFL playoffs is over, and we now know it'll be the Baltimore Ravens playing host to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC and the San Francisco 49ers playing host to the Detroit Lions in the NFC. A somewhat chalk conference championship game weekend. Both of the one seeds Take care of business. Baltimore rolls over Houston. We will get to that. 49ers pushed to the brink in Santa Clara by the Green Bay Packers, but they advance as well. And then you have a couple of three seeds, one a bit more surprising than the other. I don't think even with all their struggles, anybody would be shocked to see the Kansas City Chiefs represented here as a three seed. And even as as good as the Detroit Lions have been this season, it's just the name power alone. Yes, the Detroit Lions playing on conference championship weekend for the first time since 1991, just the second time in the Super Bowl era. I'm still processing it. We've got a lot of time to process it. We've got a whole show. We'll get through all the matchups, what went right, what went wrong. We're going to talk We got people on site in Buffalo as well as Detroit. So much to get to, but I think you got to start with the last and one of the most thrilling games of the weekend. I don't know. It's it's between Niners, Packers, obviously, and Chiefs, Bills for most thrilling game. But what a finale in Orchard Park on Sunday. Kansas City Chiefs go up to Buffalo. They upset the two-seed Bills just the second home team to lose in the playoffs after Dallas did it on wildcard weekend. And it's the funny thing about this is it, you know, I think we've been waiting for the chiefs to, to wake up and, and look like the team that we're all so familiar with. I would argue this is the same Kansas city team we've seen all year. It just so happens that they're still a really damn good team with the best quarterback walking planet earth. And that's a tough combination to beat. Even when you can't get everything right, there were a few more explosive gains here. You know, I I knew things might be going well for Patrick Mahomes when he found Marquez Valdez Scantling for 29 yards very early in the third quarter, the type of play that they haven't been able to get right all year. But still you look at this. I mean, the, the chiefs passed for 215 yards, Nicole Hardman, the the play that'll get remembered, at least one of them from this game, the fumble out of the back of the end zone on a sweep. Andy Reid, why, why are we calling sweeps down on the goal line when you've got Mahomes, when Isaiah Pacheco's been running for six and a half yards per carry? I have no idea. But the Chiefs still do the boneheaded stuff where their receivers are turning the ball over, giving teams another chance at it, and they still find a way 
to win. And it's an all hands on deck type of effort. It was so wild how this game went from a track meet. I mean, read, read the drive chart here. It goes starting late in the second quarter. It goes chiefs, touchdown, bills, touchdown, chiefs, touchdown, bills, touchdown, chiefs, touchdown. Absolutely looked like a game where the winner was going to need 40 points, just like the overtime one, the overtime classic in 2021. And then starting with the bills, insane decision to fake a punt, what midway or early in the fourth quarter, excuse me. That's when all hell broke loose. That's when this game became not only entertaining and memorable, but absolutely insane. I know the chiefs only had 10 defenders on the field, still absolutely nuts to attempt to fake right there when Josh Allen had been playing as well as he had. Just put the ball in your all-pro quarterback's hands, maybe. Just an idea. From there, Hardman has the fumble. You have a couple punts. And then the Bills have their moment at glory. They really did. They're driving toward the Chiefs' end zone with less than two minutes to play. Worst-case scenario, maybe you try a game-tying field goal, but it really looked like the Bills were going to have a chance to take the lead. A full minute 40 to play with a full set of downs. Josh Allen throws incomplete to the end zone. Scramble drill goes incomplete. For the life of me, Buffalo, I don't know why y'all got away from the pass the way, the way that you did. The run game, they ran for 182 yards on the day. Straight up, maybe just call the quarterback's number. Josh Allen ran the ball really, really well for a second consecutive week. Anyway, you, you saw how it ends. The drive stalls out. Tyler Bass misses from 44 yards. Wind was brutal all afternoon. Can't say it's an, a, a surprising result that he missed. Again, that's maybe you run the ball and try to get a little bit closer. Does not work out. And the Bills are going home. The Kansas City Chiefs onto the AFC Championship game for a sixth straight year. At no point this season... Has it really clicked and come together in the way that we are so used to from these Kansas City Chiefs? But Steve Spagnuolo's defense, credit to him, took the explosive element out of Buffalo's offense. The Bills had to drive for every single point that they scored in this game. Defense holding the Bills down. Offense, even with the typical boneheaded mistakes that you can count on every week, you find a way to score 27 points against the two seed in the AFC. It's a testament to the Chiefs' greatness that a team that, that I would say hasn't looked great all year is now a game away from the Super Bowl. Those are my initial thoughts right off the rip. It, it speaks to the, the clunky nature of the end of the game that Patrick Mahomes didn't need to drive the field for more points the way that he's done so many times. That's what this looked like was going to happen. Either Buffalo was going to kick a field goal or score a touchdown, and Mahomes was going to have a minute and some change to work his magic. It wasn't necessary. That's the theme for the end of this game. Like I said, the way it just kind of went off the rails. It's a lot to take in. A thrilling game, a fitting piece of this amazing Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen catalog that we're building in the playoffs. The Chiefs, 3-0, and against Buffalo in the postseason. And it's it's a game with so many implications. We'll get to, we'll preview the Chiefs heading into the AFC title game against Baltimore. What does this mean for Buffalo? It's got to be so demoralizing. This felt like the best opportunity so far for the Bills to get past their longtime bully. They fall short. Where do they go from here? How do they try to keep their contention window open? 
it's a lot to get to. And fortunately for me, I don't have to do it all on my own. Joined now by our buddy Fox Sports AFC East writer Henry McKenna, who was on hand in Orchard Park to take me through all of the madness on Sunday evening. All right, Henry, truly going to the next level, coming to us live from the field out in Orchard Park. So, okay, for starters, you're you're in these conditions. It looked like a tough evening to be trying that 44-yard field goal. I mean, what what was Tyler Bass working with there? Yeah, winds were winds were blustery. You can maybe see some of the flags up up over my left shoulder. Um it, the winds were pushing the ball for sure. And yeah, the ball is going to be hard and cold. Um, you can probably see the steam coming off my breath. Not an easy night to play uh, on special teams um, and certainly not an easy night to be a kicker. That said, you know, excuses can't really come into play. Uh, this is where, you know, he plays, sorry, practices. He's the Buffalo kicker. They're in Buffalo. These are the conditions that he's going to work with. You got to tie the game there. Um, and it, it's just a heartbreaker for Buffalo, obviously. Um, tough finish. And uh, and it's too bad that it came down to that, too, because I think it would have been great to see if Patrick Mahomes could come back on that final drive and, and maybe actually have to win the game a little bit there. Or maybe we see overtime. Maybe we kind of get a repeat or finally something different. Um, thinking back to that 2022 game where Mahomes won, you know, in the divisional round in overtime, uh, but and now Allen is 0 and 3 against Mahomes. It does cheated is maybe not fair, but it is. It's a little bit anticlimactic that we don't get a chance to see Patrick Mahomes there with the ball at the end. I'm curious. This is what I've been thinking about ever since the game ended. I'm 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 confused by Buffalo's decision making there at the end. It, it it felt like the need to be throwing into the end zone to be going for the win like that, not bleeding clock, knowing that Patrick Mahomes was on the other sideline. Did you find that as confusing as I did there in that you know end game sequence? I think I think you don't want to give the ball back to Mahomes in that situation. So I think if I'm if I'm getting you right, that like fourth down decision, for example, um, and and the general urgency on Buffalo, like I get it. You don't want to get in a situation where Mahomes has the ball in the lead. Like that's just not a situation that anyone feels like is a winning formula. Um, so I think Buffalo did what was was mostly right. I mean, they got you know as much as it would have been absolutely amazing to see Demar Hamlin convert uh the punt return or the punt, the fake punt and get a first down there maybe too cute of a play call you know regardless of who's running the ball um and then looking forward it creates greater urgency on the ensuing drives where they really can't afford not to score they have to go for it on fourth and three they had a great play dialed up lucky to be there um but ultimately uh aggressive approach probably the right approach you can't you can't get into a situation where Mahomes and Isaiah Pacheco who I think averaged 6.5 yards per carry or something like that can chew the clock and that's they just got into a situation where they were behind the Kansas City Chiefs and that's given how good this defense is that's a really bad position to be in this year yeah what do you what did you make of this Kansas City defense's performance today you know, I, I heard the stat on TV here in LA, no explosive gains by Buffalo on the night. I mean, they had to work for everything that they got. 
What was Steve Spagnola dialing up to take that away from Josh Allen? Yeah, great question. I just literally finished talking to Trent McDuffie about exactly that. Um, and you saw the Bills were able to work the ball laterally. And again, to Joe Brady's credit, the interim offensive coordinator, he was doing his very best at using sort of every lateral play that was in their playbook. Um, but that downfield passing was a missing ingredient. There was one great opportunity to Stefan Diggs. He dropped the ball. It was it was maybe a 50-yard pass. Like it was an incredible dime from Josh Allen. That was their opportunity. Other than that, mostly saw dink and dunk from Josh Allen, including like his great presence in the run game. The reason for that, like I mentioned, Trent McDuffie at the beginning, was disguises in the defense. This this Kansas City secondary has been playing together for a very long time. <clears throat> they run a defensive scheme that is very flexible on the back end, which allows their secondary uh, to switch positions, to show one thing, um, to improvise even a little bit, McDuffie was saying. He was like, sometimes we're sort of playing our own defense. We're making up our own defense on a given play just sort of by communicating in the flow of the play. Um, so essentially they were throwing uh, a very smart defense, a very complicated defense at Josh Allen, and he didn't trust his eyes downfield enough to target, <clears throat> certainly not the middle and, and certainly not like the deep third past the 20 yard line. So you, you, you just had Steve Spagnola and his, his cornerbacks and safeties sort of at a higher intellectual level than Josh Allen for basically 60 minutes. And that's that's a tough thing. I mean, that's that's why we saw him contained in the passing game. That's why we saw him running so much on third down. And and damn near pulling it off. Damn near doing it all on his own. I'm curious, you're you're our AFC East writer. The, the Bills are are one of the teams that's your specialty. This is I mean, it's it's a tough night in Buffalo. It's going to be a tough couple of weeks there. Where, where do you see this team going? Obviously, you know, I, I would say more needs to be done to, to boost the offensive side of the football, give Josh Allen something to work with. James Cook at a breakout year, I would argue, with Gabe Davis potentially leaving, you need even more on that side of the ball. But then at the same time, a really solid veteran defense, but a very injury-prone defense with how many veterans they have there. What do you think is the key to trying to build this thing back up and, and make another run. Yeah, it's tricky because Brandon being the general manager spent all of last off season saying, Hey, I'm not going to make a big splash. I'm going to spend responsibly. <clears throat> this is going to be our get right year from the salary cap. Well, guess what? They are in the bottom five in salary cap space for next year. They are like 30 or $40 million over the salary cap. So they are not in a super flexible situation as they try and figure out how to better this team. I mean, on paper, you're like, how could you make this team better? Um, they are a really good football team when they're healthy. And like you mentioned, they were simply not healthy, especially on defense, where at every position they were quite thin, maybe except defensive tackle. Uh, but even there, they, they dealt with some injuries. So um I think the question is, like, how do they get over this hurdle? Josh Allen is 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes. And, and I don't think it's because, at least tonight, Josh Allen is, is, is that, you know, the gap between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is that significant. It's not 0-3. Like, that doesn't measure 
you know, just how far they are in talent. Those two quarterbacks should be much closer. And so they've got to figure out, I mean, and maybe it's a little bit of coaching uh, at the top level, why that separation is, 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 is still there and why, why it seems like Patrick Mahomes can really just control these games, even when Josh Allen is the type of quarterback that should be coming away with a win. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to say it. He should have a win against Patrick Mahomes by this point. You have to question maybe even Sean McDermott, uh, whether he's doing enough right now for this team. It's going to be a tough offseason, man. I mean, Josh Allen played well enough to win. I know there were a couple almost turnovers, but at the end of the day, the Bills win the turnover battle. They're at home. They get an overall phenomenal night from Josh Allen, and it's not enough. I, I don't know what it's going to take, uh, and I don't envy Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and everybody that has to figure it out, but at least we get to watch some thrilling football in the meantime. It was a really fun one. Henry, please do me a favor. Go get warm, man. Please get 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 out of the conditions, but I do appreciate it. I'm built for this, baby, from, <laughs> from Boston. Take there care, is. man. <laughs> take care. Let's take it from Bill's Chiefs to the other divisional round classic on Saturday night. It was it was the nightcaps that had all of the action on divisional weekend. San Francisco 49ers rally back from a fourth quarter deficit. They fend off. The upstart Green Bay Packers, 24-21. Missed field goal, loomed large in this one as well. The weather was crazy. And then you get Brock Purdy guiding the Niners on a last-second touchdown drive in the final moments to prevent the upset. My guys, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, have been hoping for a classic for weeks. And on Saturday night, they finally got it. All right, guys. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Not the most memorable night of Brock Purdy's career right up until he had what I think is the best moment of his career. What came together there on that final drive to put the Niners in front? I, I think I think questions. Forget about what the rest of the night was. Questions about Brock Purdy. Forget about it, right? I mean, how how tough do you how tough do you want to see the toughness from him on that last drive? And of all things, on that big third down, he hits Chris Conley, who's barely played to keep the drive alive. His best throw in the night. Listen, when you when you evaluate top tier NFL quarterbacks, yes, has he played better games? Was he as sharp? Did he have a couple? All of that goes out the window. Yep. How do you play with the ball from behind the fourth quarter of the biggest game of the year? What do you do and the results speak for themselves. He came through when his team needed it the most. His best drive, his most his most memorable drive of his young career, and they weren't great. They weren't the dominating offense we've seen throughout the course of the season, but considering the situation, they were good enough. It's funny the way this works, because for a lot of that fourth quarter, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this, this, these defensive miscues could be the reason the Niners are at home. Instead, they get a week to work on it heading into the NFC Championship game. Green Bay with a lot of success on the ground tonight. I'm curious, what, what adjustments, if you're the Niners defensively, do you make as you get ready for this NFC uh, Championship game? Look, I think here's the bottom line, Dave, right? I, I think the Packers have played great the second half of the year. I think they played well again until a point when the Niners defense, as great as they are, said, okay, enough. Dre Greenlaw picked off two passes in the second half. They got a huge stop between that as well. When the money was on the table, the Niners' defense was awesome. Yeah, very similar to Brock Purdy. Yeah. Again, not perfect, not the dominating fashion we've seen so many times from this 49ers' defense, but there in the fourth quarter, 
when they needed stop after stop to give their offense enough possessions to give them a chance to get back down there and take the lead, it's exactly what they did. The two takeaways were huge. Got a big stop. I mean, just you have to just give all the credit in the world. When you don't play your best and you have a team that's coming in as hot as anybody yeah. in the league, in these conditions, these, this situation, survive in advance. What a fun one. Niners survive, Dave. The number one seed moves on. Such a great game and hopefully a sign of what's to come next weekend. We'll talk to you all then. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks, buddy. If you ever needed to explain it to somebody, you now have the perfect example for why Brock Purdy is one of the most polarizing players in the NFL. Why can't anybody seem to agree? Whether he's the reason for the Niners' success or just some guy who happens to play on the most talented offense, this was the game. Because let's be very blunt about it. Brock Purdy was not good against San Francisco. Didn't handle the pressure well, literal pressure in his face. Did not handle the conditions well, the rain. Saw him wiping his hands on his own pads mid-play to try to get a better grip on the ball. His decision-making was off. His ball placement was off. He got away with several throws. He was made to look right on several throws by guys like Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, taking passes, big-time yak, making circus grabs. This is the type of stuff that only the Niners have five different guys who can make these plays. And yeah, then there's Christian McCaffrey continuing to be the engine of this offense, 130 total yards and two touchdowns. Not a memorable night from Brock Purdy until there's less than two minutes to play. Packers miss a field goal. Purdy gets the ball back and proceeds to go to work. Makes two of his best throws of the night on the final drive. Guides the Niners down into the red zone where they take the lead. He was nails when it matters. And somehow both of these things are true. A bad night, an incredibly impressive clutch ending. Sure to spark a healthy debate heading into the NFC Championship game. So what's the answer? Is Brock Purdy driving this souped-up sports car that is the Niners offense to the NFC Championship game? Or is he merely along for the ride? This won't go over well in our hot take society. I think the answer is both. I think you can be both of those things at the same time. But what I think doesn't matter. What does Brock Purdy think? He caught up with our own Aaron Andrews right after the game. But that final drive, your best one of the night. Why? What was the difference, Brock? Man, um, it's, just, it's a team effort. You know, defense is making their stops, and we're like, man, we got to do something. And for myself, it's like, calm down, go through your reads, take what they give you, and put a drive together when we needed it when the season was on the line. What were you seeing out of Green Bay's defense? Why were things so difficult? The weather, what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the weather, but that's football, man. You got to overcome that. Um, that was early on, but after a while, it's like, man, I got to get into a rhythm. I got to hit guys that are open. That's on me. And, um, you know, overall, we got to find a way to win. It's playoff football. You're going to get their best. And um, we made it work. Hey, you told us uh, you went back this week and looked at games, former players, yourself in the postseason. When you go back later on in your life and you watch that final drive in this game with yourself leading your team to the NFC championship game, what are you going to see? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's four quarters for a reason, you know. So the way I started, it's like, man, I got I to gotta be better. You got to play efficient football. But when it comes down to it, when the season's on the line, like you got you to gotta make it happen for your boys around you. So when I watch the film down the road in my life, you know, that'll be a good one to watch. We'll see you next week. Yep, thank you. Go Niners. I think Packers fans probably need a grace period to mourn this one before they move on. I get it. They're, they're a young team. Maybe they weren't supposed to be here. But let's not sugarcoat it either. Missed opportunities are missed opportunities. 
and the Packers went toe-to-toe with the best team in the NFC and had a damn good chance to beat them. You don't know how often these opportunities are going to come around. So it is a disappointment. It is a heartbreaker. Even if you even if you would have gladly taken it two, three weeks ago, it's fair to chalk it up as a missed opportunity. But when you're done mourning it here in the days and weeks to come, there are few teams in the playoff field with a brighter looking future than the Green Bay Packers. This was a reset. This was a young team that nobody had expectations for. Very few, other than yours truly, thought that they would make the playoffs this year. And they surpassed all of those expectations. What's more, all of the guys that contributed to this, for the most part, by NFL standards, are going to be right back here in the fall. The biggest question with Jordan Love now is, when does he get his extension and how big is it? Thank God the Packers locked him up to that little extension in the offseason, so this is a less pressing issue. But based on what we saw here, it's only a matter of time till Jordan Love adds a lot of zeros to his paycheck. So what does that look like, and when does it happen? I think the other question worth considering, does the Packers' run in the postseason give Joe Barry another job as their defensive coordinator? He's one of the most maligned coaches in the NFL this year, and deservedly so. But the Packers turn around in late January in, and into, or excuse me, in late December and into the playoffs was truly remarkable. And again, all of those young first round picks aren't going anywhere. They should all be around. Really, the only losses that you need to worry about if you're a Packers fan, guard John Runyon, slated for free agency, all pro return man, Keyshawn Nixon, who made a big, big return in this game. They're both free agents. But as far as impact guys, that's about it. Love's back. The receiver quarterback is back. Aaron Jones is still hanging around. The defense is largely intact. The vibes should be sky high in Green Bay. And while this is a missed opportunity, that's really exciting based on how we saw these guys play down the stretch. Green Bay easily on the short list of teams I'm most excited about heading into 2024. The future might look bright for the Green Bay Packers, but the present is bright for their division rivals the Detroit Lions. In the year that they won their first division title in 30 years, they are now going to the conference championship for the first time in 30 years as well. If you're going to check one box, you might as well just keep going. A dream season in Detroit continues. The Lions with their second playoff win in the last calendar week. Truly remarkable times in the Motor City. And we had somebody on hand to talk us through it. Carmen Vitale, our NFC North writer, was at Ford Field for the Lions' big win, 31-23 over Tampa Bay. She joins me now to talk all things Lions-Buccaneers. All right, Carmen, let's start off with the atmosphere. A week ago, you were in a very sad AT&T Stadium for the Cowboys' loss. I'm guessing it was a little bit happier at Ford Field today as the Lions advanced to their first conference title game in 30 years. Yeah, but at the same time, again, it was like, I, I think I might have missed the boat last week because everybody was real excited about it, but the crowd erupted. You know, Jared Goff is in victory formation, takes those couple of knees to end the game, and the crowd was chanting Jared Goff all throughout the game. They understood the assignment, and this place, there were streamers, there were fireworks, literally inside the dome behind me uh, were fireworks going off. It was a little jarring, if I'm, if I'm quite honest, but... It was it was an electric atmosphere. It was everything I hoped it would be. They kept the decibel levels going up and up and up and on the video board. So it was loud. 
I, I'm surprised I can hear you right now, quite honestly. <laughs> I wish I could see that firsthand. What What was the... And you mentioned, you know, maybe maybe it's business as usual. Obviously, there's an even bigger goal next week in San Francisco. But what what was the post game messaging from Dan Campbell about this accomplishment and and this run that the Lions are on right now? It's just that the Lions are not done yet. Dan Campbell does not shy away from that. He didn't shy away from that last week, did not shy away from that this week as well. They aren't really taking the time to digest how historic this run is and how starving this town has been for some good football. They appreciate that the team does, and they're very excited, but they can't carry that weight on their shoulders quite yet. They're just going out to play another football game and that football game could end, could get them to the Super Bowl. All right. You're a, you're a draft nerd like I am. So look, yeah. I, I know Jared Goff played great. I'm not trying to take his shine, but how about this Lions rookie class all balling together in the second mm-hmm. half of this game? I mean, Jameer Gibbs takes over after halftime. It was Sam Laporta early. Brian Branch got in there with nine tackles in a sack. How and and this was a group of rookies that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell took a lot of flack for picking. How how big is that? I mean, obviously, how important are these guys to the Lions' continued success? And, and maybe are there some feelings of vindication there in Detroit? I mean, you saw Brad Holmes last week where he's yelling in the elevator because that is exactly what it was. It was vindication. It wasn't necessarily celebrating that they'd only come this far or that they'd come this far. It's because, yeah, Brad Holmes took a lot of heat for taking a running back at number 12. He took a lot of heat for then following that up with an inside backer in the first round. And then you get a steal, absolute steal in Sam Laporta and Brian Branch in the second round. All of these guys have hit the ground running. Sam Laporta has like every rookie rec- record or tight end record, except for like one or two still owned by Mike Ditka. And he's was so important and crucial to what this offense wanted to do and open up uh, in ben, ben Johnson's playbook. You saw Sam Laporta get involved early as if he wasn't battling through an injury either. I think that's what's the other thing that's going a little bit under the radar is not only are they not playing like rookies on the field in the sense that their play is so good and they are so successful, but they're, they're fighting through injury. They're fighting through all of this other adversity and making it look easy. Uh, Sam Laporta had what, like six or seven targets in the first half alone. So I'm really excited for this group to go forward because I think this leaves the lions championship window. If you want to call it that, Open for a while, considering they ha- their team is so young and they're getting immediate impact from their young players. That's a really good point. You got a heck of a core to build around when you have yep. four impact rookies on the same team. Okay, you mentioned injuries. I do want to touch on this. And if, if you don't have an answer, that's fine. I get it. The game just ended not that long ago. But Jonah Jackson, the Lions guard, exits the game. Frank Ragnow, the all-pro center, also battling injury. Do we have anything on their status? Obviously, that that could be huge going against that San Francisco front next week. Yeah, nothing against their status or nothing for their status going forward. Uh, We did talk to Taylor Decker. I talked to Taylor Decker in the locker room right after the game. And he just said, listen, we, Jonah's a great player. It sucks to see him go down, but it is a next man up and they made it work. And then... This was the cutest thing. Uh, he was asked about Frank Ragnow and what he means to this team. And Taylor was like, wow, you're going to get me emotional if you start asking me about him. And sure enough, you saw tears welling up in Taylor. 
tears because he was like, listen, we know that he got banged up in that game, but there was never a doubt that he was going to be out there with us continuing to fight and classified it as even he thinks that Frank might even get a little paranoid about not wanting his guys to have to do it without him. It was the cutest thing. You see these gigantic men showing their emotions and it's so quintessential of this team that is led by a guy like Dan Campbell that lets everyone be themselves. That's a huge thing. That's a huge part of the culture here in Detroit. And that was on display today when Taylor Decker was talking about Frank Ragnow and tearing up in the locker room. I do. I love the, uh, the juxtaposition of these six, five, 340 pound monsters being described as cute. Yeah, that's perfect. I know it's something to watch. I mean, Frank Ragnow, he's on the short list of most important lions. So we'll see where that goes heading into the NFC championship game. You mentioned Dan Campbell, you mentioned the culture. So I want to wrap it up with this. We're actually, we're going to do our weekly coaching spotlight with you. Cause I want to talk to you about it. You you were there. So we do it every week, whether it's a moment, whether it's a decision, what, whatever, whatever it is, we, we want to highlight a coaching staff, a good coaching performance. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach to coach communications. And I mean, Dan Campbell would be worth highlighting anyway, obviously sure. with the success story in Detroit, but it's so poetic and so fitting that in this game that got Detroit to the NFC championship game, He did classic Dan Campbell stuff, fourth and goal down on the one yard line. You could kick a field goal to go ahead by three. I think a lot of people thought that was justifiable with the way the Lions were succeeding against Baker Mayfield. Dan Campbell said, absolutely the hell not. We've gotten here by going for it, by being aggressive. And he did it when the chips are on the table. I just, I loved it. I love that he doesn't switch up. and, And I thought it really set the tone for the lions having control of this game, the rest of the way, what, what do you think? And, and what can you speak to about, about the way that his aggressiveness, his confidence rubs off on his team? It's so funny because I feel like all of these fourth down situations that we look at, we kind of attribute to the analytics nerds, right? They're like, Oh, well the probability is going to tell you to go for it. If it's this distance or that distance or whatever, Dan Campbell does it, but it's not for analytics reasons. It's just because that's who Dan Campbell is. He's aggressive. He knows that that's going to get the building rocking. And it sure did. Let me tell you when they converted that fourth fourth down uh, and, and went for it instead of, you know, kind of acquiescing to the field goal. This is what it was going to take to win this game. And this is why this team is so incredibly poised to make this run is because they are, do not shy away from aggression. They know that in order to beat other good teams, you're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to take some chances. Those chances are going to have to go your way more often than not, but that's not something that Dan Campbell has ever shied away from. And it just got the decibel level in this place all the way up. And I, it gets your guys behind you. It gets the players behind you. It gets the coaches behind you. When stuff like that works, it works. And so much so that when it doesn't work out, Dan Campbell has now earned the benefit of the doubt where you would rather have him go for it than not and be conservative, even if it doesn't work out. I'm highlighting this one decision, but like it, I mean, it's just so cool to think of where the lions were. And I said this on Twitter during the game, like people people made fun of that speech that he gave when he got hired about biting kneecaps and getting back up. And then lo and behold, the guy went and built that exact team, just like he said. And I think it's really cool that, okay, you built the team, you got here, 
But then in the big moments, he does not shy away from that ethos at all. I think it's it's way easier said than done. And and yeah. I don't know, man. I just think it's really cool. It is really cool. It makes this team so easy to root for. It makes this team so easy to cover. It's a joy. To, it's been a joy to cover them over the last couple of years. And again, this is just this is so authentically Dan Campbell. This is who he is. He's going to bite your kneecaps off, and he's going to build the team that's going to bite those kneecaps. And three years to the day of when Dan Campbell said that, they have now won their second playoff game inside Ford Field. And Dan Campbell delivered on all of his promises. So how do you not root for a guy like that? I, I don't know the answer. No offense to 49er fans, but I have a feeling that the Lions are going to be a little bit of a sympathetic favorite next week. We'll see how it plays out. I'm going to step out on a limb. The early line is Niners by seven. I'm going to guess Dan Campbell's got some uh, some more aggression and some more tricks up his sleeve going out to the Bay to try to pull off that upset. We will see how it goes. Carmen Vitale, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Every loss is a disappointment in this league. I get that, but there should be no shame in Tampa Bay for a team that had even fewer believers than Green Bay did. Seriously, go find me the Bucks backers prior to this season. Find me the people who felt strongly about Baker Mayfield heading into this season. And the guy got him to the divisional round of the playoffs, threw for almost 400 yards on the road. What a, what a phenomenal year from him. So for starters... Let's just celebrate that. Let's celebrate a surprisingly interesting and fun Tampa Bay team. But it's not quite as rosy in Tampa as it might be in a place like Green Bay or even Houston. There's just so much uncertainty here as the Buccaneers try to figure out what their next move is. Baker Mayfield is a free agent. All-pro receiver Buccaneers legend Mike Evans, also a free agent. For their part, doing a lot of talking that they'd like to stay together in, in Tampa. Mike Evans saying Baker Mayfield's criminally underrated. Baker saying, if I come back, I want Mike to come back with me. So that's a good start, but, you know, money talks. And when 31 other teams have a chance to get involved, you never know how this is going to go. All-pro safety Antoine Winfield is a free agent. Fellow franchise legend Levante David. Maybe this is the end of his legendary run in Tampa Bay. So there's just not as much to go on here. I think, personally, Baker has done enough to deserve some sort of extension. If the Seahawks can come to an agreement with Geno Smith after last season, surely something similar could be in store for Baker Mayfield. I think that's where it starts, but I'm interested to see what that deal looks like, how highly toward the top of the market can Baker Mayfield climb after a season like this, and what type of talent can you afford to put around him if you do resign him? Will it be Mike Evans? Will it be somebody else? I don't know. Fortunately for the Buccaneers, though, they are still playing in a division that looks like it'll be down in 2024. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's where it all starts. Cannot wait to see what the future holds for Baker Mayfield. He absolutely deserves a much, much larger contract when it's time to sign one this time around. We'll save the first divisional playoff game for last because it was the least compelling. The Houston Texans went up to Baltimore and they gave it a solid half but they quickly realized there are levels to these things. The Baltimore Ravens put on a show in the second half. They beat Houston 34-10 to to easily advance to their first AFC championship game since 2012. And the Ravens franchise, I'm still processing this. I'm surprised. The Ravens franchise's first home game in the AFC championship, they were always on the road 
during those other years with Flacco and with Ray Lewis and those guys. And who do they get to host? Patrick Mahomes, the reigning MVP against the very likely soon-to-be MVP. Just mwah, a chef's kiss way to end the AFC season before we get to the Super Bowl. Cannot wait for that game, but let's break down the Ravens win over the Houston Texans. I've got some help from NFL on Fox broadcaster Chris Myers to take me through it. Chris, I'm not sure Lamar Jackson needed to remind anybody of just how good he is, but in a year where he's very likely going to win his second MVP award, puts up 250 all-purpose yards, rushes for 100, four touchdowns on the day. I mean, what what strikes you the most about, about this guy and how difficult he is to deal with? Well, I, I think he has improved, uh, and obviously when he's healthy, it makes a difference. I, I like his decision-making more and more uh, when I see, and by that I mean when to run, when to scramble to throw, uh, how he stresses a, a defense, uh, and, and he gets played a lot of different ways, uh, you know, the spy version, the extra lineman, the extra DB that comes in to kind of chase him and bless how, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and we saw it evidenced in, in that, that, you know, that Houston game. I mean, that was, I always worry. And I think you and I talked about this when you're a top seed and not only do you have that week off to rest, but then you don't play in the final regular season game. And so it takes you a while to, to get up to speed a little bit. I'm not taking anything away from the Texans, but that's kind of what it looked like with, with the Ravens and, and Lamar Jackson. Uh, and then once he had his little incident at halftime, apparently we got fired up and again, emerged as a, as a leader, uh, but showed you all the things he could do. And, and I, I thought that the Texans defensive game plan too, was pretty good against, uh, against him. Um, but it, it's like, you can only hold him for so long or contain him uh, for a certain amount of time. And then he's going to do something to break your back. Um, and, and as I said, the decision-making too makes it, he used to kind of force throws and, and still once in a while, he's going to like any quarterback overthrow some things, but I think he's just so much wiser about it. And he's got some, some better receivers to, to go to, uh, I think a higher level quality of receivers that he's had in the past. I'm glad you mentioned the part about the Ravens getting off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, it's a tie game at halftime, missed opportunities and, We've seen it. We saw it this weekend. The Niners held on for dear life against the seventh seed. The Lions got a, a great fight from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It looked like that was what was what we were headed for in Baltimore. And then the Ravens just put their foot down in the second half and, and just pulled away. How impressive is it to, to see them flex their muscle like that on a weekend where there were so many very tight games? Yeah, and it wasn't just Lamar Jackson. Uh, it was obviously it takes a team, but uh, I got a compliment too. The uh, the Ravens defense. We know what the numbers say and how how good they've been all year. How they lead in in sacks and, and go through certain categories. Uh, but but they also and they were a few guys went went in or out in certain plays. Uh, but but Stroud didn't play like a rookie all year. He didn't play like one in their first playoff game when they needed the win to get in. And that was a very, very good offense. And so they knew they could take away the run. That was something the Texans had problems with earlier. But then Singletary had, had come on. They held them. I think the total rush yards were 30, 35, whatever it was. It was below 40 yards in the in the game. And, and, and so Stroud and then they really rushed Stroud in a number of uh, different ways. And and I think you saw that defense too. Kind of, in fact, they kept him obviously out of the end zone. The punt return was 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 the big play. Even though Stroud made some big plays with some of his receivers, he was really running for his his safety. It seemed the the entire course of the game, and they did that without giving up 
the big play, you know, the, 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 which is what the, the Texans, when Stroud got hot, he lost Tank Dell, but with Nico Collins and even Dalton Schultz, he was able to still make some of those big plays downfield. So uh, that was, that was impressive. That second half was more representative of what the Ravens are and that's how they're going to have to win. And, you know, because their defense is so good and then the run game, they ran for over 200 yards, obviously a hundred of that from, uh, Lamar Jackson, then they control the clock and, and and it frustrates the the opposition. So that's the part we saw in the regular season when they're up to speed. Now, I think they are going to have, you know, that next round is going to be a very difficult challenge. It's going to be a step up from Houston, uh, a more experienced playoff team and and quarterback. And I think you'll see Lamar Jackson rise to the occasion a little bit more when when he has to. He'll probably have to throw for for more passing yards, and 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 you know I, I think he'll be confident in doing that. Uh, and that's something I've noticed too over the years that and we saw this with Mahomes and, and Andy Reid, the head coach who normally might think one way, he'll trust his quarterback or offense because of his court. Hey, you want to go for it? We'll go for it. Uh, you make the call on this, you know, going for two or whether you want to run this or throw this on on fourth and two, whatever. Uh, and, and that's a, that's a confidence builder that I think the rest of the team sees. And we've seen that with, with Harbaugh and, and Lamar Jackson. And in the playoffs, obviously the stakes get a little higher. It is going to be it's going to be fascinating on both sides of the ball. Obviously, Lamar Jackson, a huge part of this. But you're right. I think Mike McDonald, Ravens defensive coordinator, he's been on the radar for most of this season, but such a, a master class against C.J. Stroud. I would imagine he's going to be in the mix for several of these open head coaching vacancies. And the thing that strikes me about the Ravens, it's so impressive how they can do it a variety of different ways. You know, they, they don't, it's, it's not the miles Garrett or, or the secondary full of all pros that some of these other defenses have. It just seems like such a well-oiled machine at all three levels. They can dial up any game plan they need. I cannot wait to see which element of that defense they call on in this, uh, in this AFC championship game matchup. Yeah, and that's a, a problem when the offense is go up. You, know, you just say, okay, let's we we see Aaron Donald is here, Miles Garrett is there. We're gonna we can focus. They they have people coming in in different directions, and they're not. You know, I mean, I'm taking anything away from their ability, uh, but they all can be the starring role and become that guy for that game. Uh, whether it's a defensive back or somebody, uh, you know, a linebacker coming, and they adjust to the kinds of offenses uh, that they play, and they they knew they could do some certain things against Shroud because there, there wasn't as much of a threat of a, of a running game. And yeah, McDonald, a, a candidate, uh, Mike McDonald, as you mentioned, it's funny, just, you know, it's, it seems like at the top of everybody's list for people looking for head coaches, it's usually we, we need an offensive guy. We want a young offensive minded guy, you know, the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, when some of the other candidates like McDonald, you just mentioned, there's Raheem Morris and obviously guys like a guy like Bill Belichick, even for able, those are defensive guys who have head coaching success and experience coming from background. So uh, ultimately they'll decide on the guy, hopefully. Uh, and, and he'll get, whether if it's a defensive guy, he'll get the right offensive coordinator to, to go forward. But, but right now, and they've gone through a little bit of a change with some of their coaches over the years. Remember Wink Martindale used to be there and yet Harbaugh has allowed that coach to grow into the position and use the players uh, that he has to run his style of defense. And it's worked very, very well. I don't think, you know, I think people thought the Ravens at the beginning of the year, they're going to be a good team. That's a tough division, you know, Bengals, Browns, and of course a lot of injuries and things happen, but I, I don't know that a lot of people said, Hey, the Ravens are going to be playing for, you know, at home uh, for the chance to go to the Super Bowl. Not, not at the beginning uh, of the year. And they, they really earned this. 
I think that's a really good point. I mean, if you had told me in August that the Ravens make the playoffs, of course, I have no problem believing that. But being the most dominant team in the league basically throughout the season, and now you're playing one game away from the Super Bowl, it is a hell of a success story. And that's one last thing I want to end on. I just I think this is a fun note. Obviously, the Ravens have experienced so much success since since they got to Baltimore. But all of their appearances in the AFC Championship game up until now have been on the road. So this is the first AFC title game in Baltimore since 1971 when it was the Colts. And so for for one of the NFL's most old school football cities, I think, you know, maybe keep that in mind. It's not something that should go unnoticed that Baltimore gets to host a game like this for the first time in a long, long time. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. I know because for old school fans, right, the, the Baltimore Colts, when you go back historically, just like the original uh, Cleveland Browns. But, yes, having this game, and I've, I've called games at that stadium, and, and I think it was mentioned in the broadcast of the playoff. They they don't get – I did some games with Flacco there when they were on playoff runs. Uh, obviously not a championship game, as you, as you said, even though they, they've, they've been to the Super Bowl. Uh, but that crowd, they, they do yeah, – they are loud. It's an outdoor stadium. They, they do have an impact. And you saw it. That was the one thing I didn't mention, that Houston Texans were pretty good about penalties most of the year. Uh, well coached in that in that regard by D'Amico Ryan. They had they were double digit penalties. I think it was eleven or twelve. A lot of false start, you know, pre snap. And so the crowd there being at home for a championship game. Look, it's not the magnitude of what we saw with the Lions and the years they waited. But yes, to have a successful team like that and to be able as fans to go there and be a part of it, make noise, make it difficult for the other team. Uh, that'll be entertaining to watch. And we and we know the other team coming in there is going to be a team that's uh, that's that's got a very good quarterback and and a, and a good coach who's got playoff experience so uh, that'll be a benefit uh, just another nugget benefit for the for the Ravens and for Lamar Jackson and, and Harbaugh it's going to be an awesome scene in Baltimore next weekend we'll see if they can cap off the run Chris Myers as always I appreciate the time man take care all right, Dave. Good talking to you. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. No Tuesday show this week. So before we get out of here, we're going to do the power rankings now. Of course, we have to, and it's getting easier. There's only four teams still playing, and there were only eight teams left in the field anyway. This should be pretty short and sweet. So let's get right into it with our next edition of the playoff power rankings. Starting down at number eight, that's everybody that didn't play is going to stay right where they were. Their seasons are over. I put the Buccaneers in eighth. I don't feel great about it. Bucks fans, you know how I feel about your team. I've been supporting Tampa Bay all season long. It was a fun, unexpected run. And they did have a better showing than Houston. Houston Texans being my seventh place team. I put the Bucks in last, mainly because, like I said earlier in the show, there's so much uncertainty with that team. Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans, officially out of contract. We don't know where they go from here. Houston Not their most memorable showing in Baltimore, but they do still have a guy by the name of C.J. Stroud that they can build around. So I give the Texans the nod just because it's easier to see the long-term path there when you have a guy like that to build around. Up at number six, of course, I've got the Green Bay Packers. What a a game. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes deserves the headlines, but Niners-Packers just had everything you could want in a playoff game. What a showing from this young Packers team. They beat the crap out of the Cowboys. They take it all the way to the buzzer against the 49ers. Jordan Love, even with the crazy interception at the end, looks like a guy. Very, very excited about where they're going. But not as overall complete a team as the Bills. Ugh. 
heartbreak for the Buffalo Bills. I don't know how they find a way past the Kansas City Chiefs. You could argue that they're a top four team in the NFL, even in the wake of the loss, but they just can't get it done. The win streak comes to an end in Buffalo. I have a feeling they'll be talking about that missed field goal for a long time. Brutal way to end a season. In the four spot, I feel guilty about this too. Look, the Lions were impressive. They handled Tampa Bay. Never felt like they were in doubt of losing that game. But the Chiefs going up to Buffalo and beating the Bills vaults them into the three spot. I don't want to disrespect Patrick Mahomes, one of the, already one of the three best quarterbacks to ever live. And I, I yeah, do, do the Chiefs need any more ammunition? The Lions in the four spot, they go to take on the Niners. Chiefs vaulting up to number three. Making you think one more time, ugh, as soon as I wrote them off, maybe they'll do it all over again. Would it surprise you? Number two, I debated dropping the Niners, but at the end of the day, that's such a huge collection of talent on that team. It was raining in Santa Clara Saturday night. That's not expected in the forecast this weekend. I think they have a great chance to advance to their first Super Bowl since that 2019 season. And of course, why would the Ravens move out of the top spot? Shaky start, but Man, they cruised to an easy finish against Houston. Lamar Jackson looked amazing. Even more amazing than that was Mike McDonald and his defense. Ravens, Chiefs, need I say more? Like, let's just fast forward to that. As good as Chiefs-Bills was, Ravens-Chiefs in Baltimore has the potential to be even better. So, so excited for that matchup. That does it. We're down to four. Soon we'll be down to two. Ah, soon we'll be done. And that's depressing to think about. So let's not dwell. Plenty of news, plenty of football left conference championship game weekend on the horizon and the Super Bowl not far behind that. That just about wraps it up for the football news though. Plenty more to get to. There's still several NFL head coaching vacancies, most of which have not been filled as of yet. Raiders interim head coach Antonio Pierce is Officially, their head coach, they took the interim tag off over the weekend, but so much more coaching news to get to, and who better to help us sift through that? Of course, you know, we sat down with Jay Glazer for another episode of Ask Glazer. Check it out. Back again for another playoff edition of Ask Glazer with Jay Glazer. What's going on, man? Friend? Doing good. Does it feel I'm like... doing all right. Does it... I, I always struggle. Like, does it does it feel like it's been a long season, or does it feel like it's been yesterday? It, no, it always feels like a long season, no matter what. Like... Because it's like you get you guys see us on Sundays, but you don't see the hours and hours and hours on this constantly. And it's um, it, 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 like I think usually around Thanksgiving for us, like kind of hit a wall a little bit before and then hit a wall Thanksgiving. Then you get your second wind here and then kind of playoffs come. Then you really get like your third win and your fourth win. But it's it's a nonstop you know, reality show slash soap opera. 365 day a year league. Don't stop, right? baby. It's I love never, it. and it, it's Thank God. never busier than it is right now. Cause yeah. you got your phones blowing up with yep. coaching stuff. The playoffs are going on. So that's where I'm, I, I, I feel, I feel bad with how often it's coaching, but that's the time of year. Yeah. That's the time of year. Those are the questions that's what we do, we baby. We'll start off with this one. Nothing concrete coming out of Philadelphia as as of yep. yet. Uh, it sounds like I mean Nick Sirianni. But you you asked me this last week, and I said I didn't think he was true. Anything was going to happen, and you know I know right now they're even kind of lining up. Um, they're coming around for interviews for coordinators. coordinators. Right. So if they're going to, if you're fired, you're not going to, you know, start lining you're not, up guys. You're not for lining up job interviews right. for other people. Do yeah. you? I mean, the question is, 
does this feel like a pretty fixable situation in Philadelphia? You lose a couple great coordinators. Here, here, here's here's the thing with, with Philadelphia. Yeah, first of all, that kind of wasn't talked enough about enough going into the season. I Gannon think we just and yeah. that okay, Sirianni and the and the roster. But no, those two guys, the job that Shane Steichen's done out and and with the Colts was phenomenal. And Gannon did a really good job for their defense also. So I don't think enough was really put into that by any any of us going in. We just thought this team was almost on overdrive. But the other thing with Philly is that. Man, you almost have – you can't just have regular adversity there. Every little molehill becomes a mountain in Philly. And, you know, they – like, you see other teams, they have a, a, lo- a lousy week, and they kind of just bounce back. Let's say Philadelphia, there's no lousy week. It's just all or nothing over there. Um, but is it fixable? They got a lot – man, they got a lot of – there's going to be some roster turnover over there. They got a lot of guys who are free agents. Um, but, you know, I, I still think they have a lot of – there's a lot of great pieces in place for them to still do stuff, but they got to kind of quiet the noise down over there somehow. And that's always a hard place. That's a hard place to do it in. I'm gonna, well said. Like when when things are bad in Philly, yeah. you know it. You oh, yeah. Know it very much. I mean, remember too, Philadelphia, Andy Reid. Got him out, right? Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson. Year, year after Won a Super, Bowl, a Super Bowl. Got him out. And a year after Nick Sirianni takes his team to a Super Bowl, we're talking about him being on the hot seat also. So there's never just grace in Philly. You're never just, hey, let's just. Go through adversity. I always say adversity is a gift. Somebody asked me, like, what's if you can give your son one thing, I'd say adversity, right? It's a great gift. It's what gets people, you know, stuff that kind of didn't break you, it builds you up, right? And it makes you unbreakable, right? But in Philadelphia, there's no, like, adversity. <laughs> adversity, it's just constant thunderstorms. It's so true. Pressure is a privilege. That's one that I've heard before. I like that one. All right. Well, speaking of which, I heard that uh, from a guy named Dak Prescott. Dark week in Dallas. Uh, the question here is about Dan Quinn, which I think is really interesting because he's interviewing for head coaching yep. jobs, obviously ended the season on a down note. If he doesn't get one of those jobs, do you, do you see him back in Dallas? Or, or yeah, I think they want him back in Dallas. You know, it's just, think, I, you know, and people keep, keep asking me also about, because here's what happens during this time of year. Everybody who is even looking for something else looks and they start, Hey, is this guy going to get one? Is that guy going to get one? Hey, can you, you know, this guy, can, can you put my name in here? Can you, you know, things like that. And, um, I've like example, one, one coach this week who was looking to connect with like Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris and a couple of these guys. And he's like, Hey, I got another offer, but I kind of need to give this, 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 um, the answer today. And I said, dude, these guys are just on zoom right now. <laughs> right. You got to wait till these guys are in person before you know, who's going to kind of get lined up where. So these, Coaching interviews, all of them except for Harbaugh and Belichick, everything's been on Zoom. Then next week, you're allowed to interview uh, in person. So you can't really, you don't really get that, a great sense of who's going where until those in-person interviews happen. This is purely anecdotal on my part, but because of that, it's, it seems like it's taking teams longer to fill these jobs yeah. than Well, but that's, the, the, they changed the, the rules. Rule, right. Yeah, yeah, they changed the rules for it. Um, and I think I told you this a couple of years ago, and part of this, I know I've asked, I said, was this the reason why? And I've been told by the league, no, but like Dan Quinn was going to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. And he interviewed right after Dallas lost to San Fran. So he was in the tank, had no energy. So when he went in there, he just wasn't like this bubbly Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is a culture builder. He's, he's, there's not as many teachers left in this league. There's a lot of play callers, but not teachers. He is a teacher. And I know he had one bad game last week, but he didn't suddenly just become a dummy on defense and just on one game. Just doesn't happen like that. People do have bad games, and that was a bad game all around. They just came out, you know, listless. Um, but, you know, th- they're 
I don't know, forgot where I was going here on this one. Oh, so he's going to get the head coaching job in uh, in Denver. In Denver, yeah. And um, because he went so listless, they said, ah, he didn't have the energy, so we're going to move on. They went with Hackett. And then eventually Hackett got fired and Sean Payton, kind of what would have been. So um, it, it, it's taken longer. The league wanted it to take longer. So guys weren't just, you know, jumping right out. And, and at the same time, I think guys getting ready for some of these playoff games uh, were able to focus more on some of these playoff games. But, uh, but here's the difference to it. What it used to be, you used to go in and you come with your big coaching book and you used to go in for like two days of interviews, be like 12 hours in the first day and six hours in the second day. And you talk about everything in these interviews, everything from like, the moment you get the job on, what's your team going to do in the senior bowl? Who's going? Who's going to the combine? What The Super Bowl, you're going to have off or you're not. Uh, who's going to sit where on a plane? Who's, uh, what's family going to do? How's your in training camp? Like, what's the everything. menu? Right, so now they're stuff. doing these two-hour Zoom interviews. You're not, you know, just get a little feel for people. But when those other interviews, when you get the in-person, that's when I think start, things will start getting in place more. This question's going to put you firmly on the spot. I apologize in advance. They want to know, if you were running the Bears organization, what would you do with the Justin Fields situation? Uh, I'd trade Justin Fields and, and uh, draft Caleb Williams. Here's a couple reasons why. One, um, you kind of get that, that salary relief for another couple of years. Right? So Justin Fields in a few years, and you know, he'll be up. If he shines, he'll be up for a contract extension soon, and that kind of puts yep. you in, in cap hell there, or different situation. That, But I also think Caleb Williams um, – Man, he, he looks like one of these kind of generational type of talents. And these and I think Justin Fields, why he did do some good things, if you looked at, I think anybody just said, okay, we can tap either one of these guys. I think everybody would have Caleb Williams rated a lot higher. Yeah. So I think you go with Caleb Williams and you do try and trade Justin Fields for, you know, I think you can get uh, a pretty good penny for him. I would love, I, I just think that could be a, a real, much like Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, an eventual win-win situation. For somebody, yeah. The Bears get a cheaper quarterback right. with a higher ceiling. And Justin Fields, there's right. plenty of teams that just need a quarterback. quarterback. And, and you've seen and that Justin, Justin Fields, Fields is not a bad yeah, quarterback. Yeah, Justin Fields can make things happen. Yeah. Absolutely, can make things happen. You need to have a certain system around him, but he could be very dangerous. And, and not only that, Justin Fields showed later this year that he he did grow like he he did last year he did this year. Sometimes guys you know they develop in, in different ways. So yeah, I think that they I think he's a very tradable guy. But because you just get Caleb in and, and you can keep on his rookie deal for longer, it's a smarter deal. Five years of cost control can't mm -hmm. understate it. All right, we'll finish it up with the Carolina Panthers. What what do you think is the biggest key to this organization turning it around? Oh man, I think they got they have a ways to go because they gave up a lot of draft capital to trade up for Bryce Young. I think they, you know, A, they do have to, they haven't really had a culture in there in the last couple of years. There's been no culture. So under Frank Reich, there really wasn't, they were kind of finding their way and it was, it was just felt a little lost. Um, under Matt Rule, certainly wasn't a culture. So they need a culture guy first and foremost. And now they say, well, we want to bring in a, an offensive guy, but man, you need a culture guy first and foremost to build a certain type of culture in there. Um, then you got to start putting players around that quarterback. And again, you don't have your first round draft pick this year. So it's not as easy to, to you, you're going to have to you know, make sure you do a hell of a job in personnel. Like a lot of these guys, look what the Rams did. The Rams have done a great job with some of their later round picks building up and kind of rebuilding after they mortgaged a lot for the Super Bowl, right? And they came back a lot faster than we thought. 49ers done a great job with a lot of these draft picks. You're going to have to really hit on a lot of these draft picks, not just the, 
You obviously don't have your first one, but all the way down the road. Whoever they get, GM and coach, they are yep. going to be up against it for sure. Yep. Jay, you are off to the conference championship game next week, man. Enjoy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate having you in studio all Appreciate season. It, man. It's been great. We'll yeah, talk to you. It's been great, man. I like this. We'll Appreciate talk to you it. soon. Absolutely. You going to miss me? Of course. Come on. Seriously. I love our chats. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Honestly, you can, I, open, you can open up to me. Here. It's the highlight of the Just week. Just open up to me. It's the highlight of the week, my guy. <laughs> Always. Appreciate yeah, you. That wraps it up for the recap. Like I said, no Tuesday show this week, which actually maybe will do me a favor. If we take a day off, maybe we can let some of this coaching news play out and our shows won't be out of date so quickly with any more hirings or, or whatever awaits in the coaching carousel. So we will be back on Thursday. I'm going to guess we'll have some coaching updates to get to, not to mention looking ahead to the conference championship games. So much more coming your way. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, please go subscribe on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. The YouTube channel, please subscribe to that wherever you get your NFL news. Wherever you prefer to download your podcast, you can find us there. We will be with you again starting Thursday. We'll have previews for Ravens Chiefs and Niners Lions. Recap it all over again and on and on all the way up to Super Bowl 58, which is so, so near. Talk to you next time. Thanks again.